Welcome to Lady Bits in Leadership, a brave space where women come together to share stories about our bodies, our sexuality, and motherhood. I'm your host, Dr. Sarah Vogel, and my mission in life is helping women feel less alone, process their trauma, and build the lives they desire. So if you're ready to join a community of women who have found their voices, who have become liberated from shame and reclaim their power, then you're in the right place, girl. You found us. We're so happy you're here. Hello, hello, it's episode eight of Lady Bits and Leadership, and boy, do we have a good episode for you today. It's an emotional one, so you gotta make sure you grab your tissues. Just know that going into it, because we're talking about infertility. We're talking about my friend Caroline Elliott, who struggled for years with infertility and the emotional toll that it took on her as a woman, that it took on her and Chris, her husband, that it took on her larger family. And after years and years and years of trying and feeling like their lives were out of control, there is a gorgeous story that Caroline tells in this episode about how her and Chris took themselves on a little couple's retreat, sat on a dock in the middle of North Carolina, drank a couple craft beers and said, what do we want with our lives? If children aren't going to happen for us, what do we want our lives to look like? And I just, oh, I'm already tearing up thinking about this episode. It was such a beautiful episode. I think it's so incredibly important that we answer that question for ourselves, right? That beyond struggles with infertility, that we answer the question, what do we want for our lives? And take the steps towards becoming empowered enough to claim those lives for ourselves. And that's exactly what Caroline and Chris do. They didn't want to be childless. They wanted children. They had the big house. They had the big yard. They were in the good school district. They did everything right. They had wonderful jobs. They had dreamed about this and it didn't happen. And instead of giving up on life, they took control back of their lives and they redefined for themselves what was a good life. What would a good life look like? And that is so empowering and so beautiful. And that's what the story is about. So if you have struggled with infertility, if you feel like your life is a bit out of your control and you're looking for an opportunity to take that control back, if you have always wanted to move to another state after not visiting or another country after not visiting and you're like, you know what, let's just sell it all and move. This story's for you then. There is so much adventure in the face of adversity in this episode. It's one of the most emotional episodes I've recorded so far on Lady Bits and Leadership. And to be honest, I've already said too much. This episode's fantastic. I can't wait for you to listen to it. So without further ado, let's welcome Caroline Elliott to Lady Bits and Leadership. Well, welcome, Caroline, to Lady Bits and Leadership. Yeah, thank you for coming on here. Oh my gosh, it is my pleasure. Are you kidding me? It's such a joy to have you on here. We're going to talk about a lot of things, but to start off with, you and I now live in the same state. We used to live in the same state in North Carolina. Mm -hmm. Shout out to the land of uh, vinegar based barbecue. Right. Delicious. But now we live in the land of a different type of barbecue of teriyaki chicken on the charcoal grill on the white sand beaches. Also incredible barbecue. (laughs) Also incredible barbecue. (laughs) Um, So you have moved out from North Carolina to Hawaii. For those who have always had a dream of moving somewhere, somewhere wild, different, exciting, I would love for you to walk us through 
the process that it took for you and Chris to move out? (laughs) Well, I have to give credit first to Chris because he has been wanting to do this forever. I mean, I was the one um, that had to be kind of dragged along kicking and screaming. He, he grew up in, um, his dad was in the Air Force. So he moved every two to three years, moved all over the world, lived six years in Germany before college, which is where we met. And so every couple of years, he was like, okay, I'm ready. What are we going to do next? Where are we going? And I'm like, uh, North Carolina is where I live. And you've known this about me. You knew this when we got married. So I don't want to go anywhere. I just couldn't, I couldn't see it. I yeah. couldn't imagine um, moving away from family and moving away from the life I had always known, the life I had in my head. Even though if I was, you know, it took me a long time to realize the life I had in my head is not the life I was living. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't get away from that mental image. Um, finally, I said, you know what? Okay, I'll move. I did it reluctantly, but I really thought like, I really did it for him. It was like, I love you. I know you want to do this. I will entertain moving. But I, I mean, he knew I didn't really want to. And so it was many years later. And it was once we actively decided to stop trying to have children. We, we went away on this weekend where we said, it, it really was like, okay, we're, we're going to figure out what we want our life to look like. And it was on that weekend that we, we kind of adopted a new mantra. Mm-hmm. And it was, part of it was, The most depressing thing I can think of is living the life we were going to if we had children, but without children. And I, I could not think of anything more depressing than that. And that's what we were doing at that point. The other part was we are going to stop letting life happen to us and we're going to start making our own choice. Um, And that's when, that's when moving really became like, there is nothing tying us here. My family is here, but I can that doesn't mean I lose them. I can still move. From there, it happened within like two years that we said, we said we're done. And I'm jumping ahead a whole lot, but we had, basically we had a uh, trip for our 10th anniversary. Chris gave me a trip to Hawaii and it was to see if we wanted to move here. Mm-hmm. COVID canceled that trip. We were already in the process of doing all this work on our house in Durham to get, uh, to put the house on the market to move because we knew we wanted to get out of that house. And it was a few months into the pandemic when Chris said, hey, what if we just move without ever having been to Hawaii? Neither one of us had ever been. Here. And I was like, you're insane. But it just started, it got in my head and I couldn't let it go. And I finally, he finally convinced me and we put the house on the market in July. We were under contract in August. We, so we closed in September. I left my job and we were here in October. There is a lot to tease out here. There's a lot in there, but that- Oh that my gosh. Cool. Well, such courage to do that. And we're going to talk about that, but I want to back up to, you know, a big part of you all moving out here was you were living this life that you had planned for yourself, but in that image was children, being near family, having this big house, living in, a, I assume, a great school district, yep. and yet no children came. So can you talk to us about what that journey was like for you and Chris? Yeah, I mean, I I think like most girls growing into women, I always assumed I would have children, but also wanted them. I mean, Mm -hmm. I I wanted wanted kids. Chris and I bought our house in Durham actually a few months before we got married. But I remember, I so remember going through our first walkthrough of it. And it was 
almost 3,000 square feet. It was a big house. Yeah. And it was gorgeous. It reminded me of my parents' house, my, the house that I grew up in that my parents still live in. It was on a big corner lot. And I remember, I mean, we were like, this will be the nursery. When the kids get older, they'll move into this room. You know, they won't be able to sneak out of the house because the stairs creak so badly. You know, we had, we, we knew what we were going to do. We just, we could, we could feel it all in that house. And the years went by and I, I didn't get pregnant. We kind of stopped and started seeing specialists. Um, I did a round of fertility drugs, just, just the meds. Um, nothing happened. We went to a fertility specialist in Raleigh and did a round of IUI, intrauterine insemination, which is kind of the precursor to IVF. Mm -hmm. um, it's a lot cheaper. It was awful. <laughs> I mean, it, it was, looking back, it, it, I mean, it is by far one of the darkest periods of my life, just because, uh, for a lot of reasons, I was, I was so afraid of getting into that space where fertility and trying to have a baby was all I could do or think about that it was like I, I decided, okay, I'm not going to think about it. I'm not going to think about it at all, even though I'm in, I mean, it, you know, obviously looking back, it sounds crazy, but it was just, I was so scared to become a person who was so obsessed with having a baby that I was like, I'm just not going to think about having a baby, even though I'm going to these appointments and, you know, having all these tests and procedures and, um, but I'm, I'm not going to think about it. And not thinking about it led to not talking about it. So Chris and I, we hardly talked about it at all. I didn't tell, I'm actually not sure if I told my best friend and she doesn't remember if I told her at the time or later. Um, I didn't tell any of my family, my mom, my sister. You didn't tell them that you were going through IUI treatment? No, I was so like, I was just so scared of going down that road that I just, I just cut it off. What made um, you scared about it? What were you fearing? I had, I had just seen women become obsessed mm -hmm. with having a baby, you know, with here's my temperature every morning and knowing all the medical jargon and that becoming all they could talk about. And I was so scared that of becoming that person, not only for that reason, but what it would do to my mental health. I, mm -hmm. you know, I had struggled with depression for years. And I was so afraid that was the road to a really bad depression that I thought I was doing the smart thing and like preventing that. What I, what I really was doing was probably a lot more harmful, which was just pushing down everything I was going through. At the time, I really thought like, this is how I protect myself. That makes sense. Um, did they, well, as you were going through treatment, you know, you didn't share with family and friends. Did the clinic ever offer you like, this is, this is mental health concerns that often come up when one is trying to conceive. Here's, I see you shaking your head <laughs> and rolling your eyes no, now. I, of I course wish. not. I of wish. course not. I mean, it was actually the opposite where we went into our first consult with the doctor and he talked to us like we knew all of this. I mean, it was clear that like most people he talked to had already done all this research on what was going on. So he would throw out, we're going to do this and we're going to test this and we're going to do this procedure. And I would occasionally I would stop him and be like, I don't know what that means. But more often than not, I didn't. I just, Chris and I just kind of nodded along like, okay, that's fine. 
even though I had no idea what it, I mean, I still, I, to this day, I had procedures. I have no idea what they were for. Holy I don't know what they were testing or, or why I had to do it. So it was, it was clear that we, um, I left that consultation being like, and I think in a way I was like, okay, this is working. Like I'm not becoming one of those people because he was clearly talking to people who, you know, have all this knowledge and I don't have that knowledge. So what I'm doing is good. Obviously, if I could go back, I would change a lot of things about it. It's so important to share your story, right? Because there's so many women out there and couples who are trying to conceive, who I'm sure are going through literally the exact process. You know, by sharing kind of what you have gone through, it's really important for people to hear that because they realize they're not alone, but then also to glean lessons learned and to say, you know, like you're a lawyer. When I think about strong women female lawyers are at the top of the top and you still in that place of like vulnerability we're like yeah I don't even feel powerful enough to advocate or ask a clarifying question and part of that is because of the the way that the doctor spoke to you and Chris yeah that it sounded like he didn't open up like he didn't hold your hand metaphorically through the process He very much was like, you know, we, I I felt like a number to him. I mean, I was, I was a vessel that he was going to work on impregnating. That's what what it was to him. I mean, honestly, like that, that is how I felt to him. I was like, I am, I'm not a person. I'm not a, I'm not a whole person to him. And, and in a way, I don't blame him because I, I also had been in a profession where, it makes my job a whole lot easier if I can cut off the emotion and just do my job and not have to think about all of the other struggles that this, my client is dealing with. I, what I think is that it would make him a better doctor to look at me as a whole person. Um, and I think that if he really felt the need to stay completely unemotional, he could have, like you were saying, he could have a social worker or somebody in his office that would address the mental health concerns. But no, there was nothing like that. It was, it was so clinical. It was so, I mean, even when I would get emotional, um, cause it, cause thing, I mean, the whole round just went terribly and nothing worked and they would almost be embarrassed when I would start crying. And I, later I was like, isn't this pretty normal? (laughs) Like this is a pretty emotional process, but that's not, that's not what it felt like. And it's, Uh, it's just so frustrating because any person who's experienced even just a pap smear, like you are literally in your most vulnerable, you're with essentially a stranger, your bottom half is naked, you have your legs upward, you have someone putting instruments inside of your body through your vagina. I think people have to recognize you know, and then with yours, if it's inner uterine insemination, they're going through your cervix into your uterus to implant semen. That is so incredibly invasive from a physical standpoint and hurt. I imagine hurts really bad. Yeah. I mean, the whole process was awful. It was the procedures leading up to it. A lot of them were really painful leading up to the insemination was the worst part. I mean, cause it, they would, they put me on medicine. So I was giving myself all these shots. My stomach was black and blue. In one round, I probably went through a hundred needles. The women who do this for years, I'm just like, I don't know how you do it. I don't, I mean, I hear about women doing seven, eight rounds of IBS and I'm just like, I, I couldn't do it. I just couldn't. 
so I wasn't responding to the drugs. So I started off with a particular medicine. I have no idea what it was called, but I, I started off with one vial a day is what I would give myself. And then um, I would go in for ultrasounds. It ended up being, I would go in for an ultrasound about every other day to see how I was progressing. And I wasn't. And so by the end of it, I was on like 10 vials a day of this medicine. I was just pumping my body. My body was not responding like they wanted. So it was a surprise to no one when it didn't work. I, I separated myself so much from my body at that point that the, the next few months I was, were just awful in ter- physically. Like I hurt, I had all these hormones. I, um, it, it just took me months to feel like I recovered from that. That was after one round and that wasn't IVF. I mean, that's not the most intense. If I'd really been honest with myself, I think I would have known then this is not a path. This is not the path for me. Like I said before, I wasn't thinking about it. I was pushing it down. I wasn't thinking about it. So, um, and you and Chris weren't even talking about it or not extensively. We really weren't. It's nuts looking back, but, and that's, that's the biggest advice I have for women, for people going through this is to talk to your partner. That sounds so simplistic. And so, um, of course I'm going to talk about this, but we didn't. And I mean, it, it, it was so much harder because we weren't talking about it. We both felt like we were alone. I mean, that's what ended up happening is that we both felt completely alone. We didn't do another cycle. We just stopped. I mean, and I think I said, I need a break. I, I can't do another cycle right now. But then that, that break turned into years of not doing anything. And the test showed that it was not going to happen naturally okay. for either of us. So eventually we went to see another doctor and he, he basically said, IUI, y- y'all are not going to get pregnant with IUI. You've got to go to IVF. I mean, he said, I never would have put you in IUI because it's not going to happen. I mean, our biggest issue is I just wasn't really ovulating. So mm-hmm. he's like, IUI is just, it's not going to work. I started to feel like, you know, if we're going to do this, we got to do this now. So we went to another doctor and I mean, at some point, even Chris was like, I, I thought we weren't going to do this anymore. Like, and that, that's when it became so clear to me that we weren't talking. Because I was like, well, we've never talked about that. And he's like, yeah, but we didn't do anything for years. So I just, I didn't think we were going to do this anymore. We did go talk to, we saw another doctor. I had a bunch more procedures and then we never moved forward. And I kept giving myself deadlines of like, okay, by January. Okay, by May. Okay, by this date. And we would miss all of them. I finally... I kind of came to the realization of like, I, I don't, this is not the path I want. I don't yeah. want to do this. And so I remember vividly, it was in, it was in the spring. I think it was in April that Chris and I were sitting and we, I don't, I don't remember what led up to it, but I said, um, we were sitting on our back porch and I said something like about fertility. And he was like, again, he was like, I just, I thought we were done. I didn't think we were doing this anymore. That, that started, we finally had a conversation that we should have had years and years before. And we agreed. I mean, he was like, no, I don't want to do this. Because when I was saying, I didn't want to, this was not the path for me. He's like, that's fine. I don't, I don't want to do IVF. And I remember texting my, six, my sister the next morning. <laughs> and I said, by the way, Chris and I had a conversation last night. We decided we're not having kids. Had she known she that you were like, struggling? Yeah. 
Yeah. By that time you had shared I, with your family. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I had shared with her. I didn't oh, share okay. with anybody else. And she was just like, I'm, I'm, she immediately called me and was like, what? <laughs> and, uh, and she was just kind of making sure that we had actually talked about it because she knew we really hadn't before. And that, that was the beginning of me trying to accept really walking away from that part of our life, closing the door. We briefly discussed adoption. We briefly, I mean, we couldn't afford surrogacy or anything like that, but we just, we just decided that was it. We, were, we weren't going to do this anymore. What did it feel like to have the conversation with Chris finally? Our, for me, it was like a damn burst open. I mean, I remember I just, I couldn't, at that point, I could not talk about anything to do with fertility or having kids without just sobbing. And it was because I wouldn't let myself think about it. So when I did, when I kind of opened that door just a little bit, everything would try to rush through. Um, all of these emotions and things that I was just burying. So I, I mean, I just, I cried a lot. But it felt, I mean, I felt closer to him. At the end of that conversation, I felt closer to him than I had in years. We were agreeing on a different direction for our life. Mm-hmm. And that, that felt really powerful. And, and looking back, it was the first time that we started to reclaim, like, we're not going to let life happen to us anymore. We are going to make our own decisions. And, and that experience overall has been unbelievably liberating. And I mean, it, it's so powerful. So, I mean, that conversation um, was kind of the beginning of everything. And one thing we decided was we were going to go away for a weekend um, and we were just going to talk. We were going to talk about everything that we had been scared to talk about. We were going to talk about what we wanted our life to look like. We almost did. We almost backed out of that weekend. Um, and my sister was the one who wouldn't let us. And I, I almost said, oh, we'll just go up to the mountain, my parents' mountain cabin. And my sister was like, no, no, y'all need to go somewhere away that's completely different because this is, this is a big deal. And, and she was exactly right. And so she got on and she found us this amazing Airbnb in Edenton, North Carolina. I mean, Crystal says now, and he's like, if we ever move back to North Carolina, maybe we'll move to Edenton. We, we got this little um, house right on the water and we got there and we immediately, we made drinks and went down on the dock and we sat and we started talking. And we, we talked for four days just about what do you want out of life? What do I want out of life? What do we want our life to look like in 10 years? What do we want our life to look like in two years? And I mean, it, it was an amazing weekend. Just starting to figure all this stuff out. It felt so important and it felt, it, I just, I, I remember feeling, it was just so powerful. I mean, I remember being like, this is a weekend that is a turning point in our life. This marks a different direction. And I, I just knew I would always look back on that weekend and, and, and think that, and I do. I, I mean, that, that marked a decided turn in our life. I love that. You all took yourself yeah. on a couple's retreat. <laughs> we did. We did. It sounded like it was really transformative. And I think for all of us listening, we want to know what was the drink that fueled these amazing conversations? <laughs> I think it was just beer at that point. Yeah. A good craft yeah. beer is always helped yeah. solve it. Yeah. I mean, Leo and I had a really good conversation the other night and it was fueled by Ola Brew. <laughs> I, I'm not sponsored by Ola, My but they do, t- no. they do make a yeah. great IPA. I think it's, it's so incredible that you all did that. And I think at the core of it, that you 
find that the two of you got the courage together to just open those floodgates. What's more powerful than that? And then from there, once the floodgates were open, once you're like, I'm just going to be open and honest about this. I mean, you told your sister right after the conversation on the porch with Chris. And then I imagine then it was like, because you felt empowered to do that. And because you and Chris were on the same page, you started to tell other people. So what was it like, you know, I know you're super close with your parents and with your brother. What was it like telling everyone else? Well, we didn't tell anybody. I I didn't tell anybody yet. I, I felt incredibly raw and vulnerable. And I, I just felt like I needed to start to accept it more um, before I could really talk about it. So it really wasn't until we were telling people we were moving to Hawaii and people were just like, why are you moving to Hawaii? <laughs> you know, and that that was when um, I told my parents first said, you know, explain because they they did not get it at first. And so it I quickly realized, like, I've got to explain this. And so that was when we told people. So that was it was like wow. two years later. Because what my mom said was, she said, I knew you were in a rut. And this was after I told her that we, we thought we were going to move to Hawaii. Um, I knew you were in a rut and you needed a change. But I just thought it would be like selling your house and moving like to downtown Durham. <laughs> <laughs> I remember going back home and telling Chris that and just laughing. And it was like, yeah, we need a little more of a change than that. Um, and that was when I was like, I got I to gotta explain this. Because it makes sense in our head, but it didn't make sense to everybody yet until I really was like, okay, let me, let me show you, let me tell you the journey we've been on. I remember mom and I met for dinner again and I told, I explained everything and she said, now I get it. I get it. And I'm, I'm on board. I mean, she was, it was hard. Um, I'm like tearing up just thinking about that. Like, yeah, I mean, because, you know, I know from having Nainoa, my, I mean, from the time Leo and I got engaged, my parents were like, when are you guys having kids? When are you guys having kids? You know, like as soon as you get married and sometimes before that people are asked, and even before you get shacked up with someone, women in general are asked like, do you want children? Do you want children? Do you want children? And so, you know, our journey was, was very different than yours. Like I, I just didn't know if I wanted children to begin with. And, and it took me a while to come around like 10 years. I was like, all right, let's, let's do this. Like, we're going to do it. Let's do it. I have to imagine, you know, this is your journey. And then this is you and Chris's journey, but then it becomes other people's journeys, right? Because other people are tied to you as, as potential aunties, potential grandparents. And so, I mean, what was your mom's reaction and your dad's reaction? Was it different than what you would expect or? No, they, they were, I mean, if anything, it was better than I expected. They They were absolutely wonderful. Um, and I'm getting emotional about this, but because I still had guilt, like, and not even guilt, but I had always dreamed of announcing a pregnancy, yeah, like tell, getting to tell my parents that I'm pregnant, and that letting go of that stuff is is hard. Uh, and so I still had guilt over like not giving my parents another grandchild, which is in the grand scheme of things, it feels like a minor thing, but they were wonderful. I mean, they never, they never asked, they never questioned. Um, They were some of the only ones. (laughs) Um, We'll talk about that in a sec. Oh God. 
because yeah. I think there's a lot um, of like well-meaning people that say really offensive things. So well-meaning, so <laughs> incredibly offensive. <laughs> Here we are just sobbing on. I know. <laughs> I'm so glad that your parents were so loving and understanding, but I would expect nothing less from them. You know, you have a great family. They, they were wonderful. But still yet, I mean, like, even ha- even knowing that about your parents, it took you years to tell them. And so I just yeah. want to honor that, like, everyone's journey is so different. And if you're taking yeah. a long time to share with people something that is so traumatic in many ways for you, that makes sense. You know, it makes sense yeah. to build that up because oftentimes you have to come with to terms yourself about what you are currently experiencing. And again, making meaning of it, which for you all was like, well, if we can't have kids, why do we have this 3,000 square foot house? we feel very out of control of our life. Like this was the lot that we were given physically. It's not aligning with what we want. And now we're, we're going to pivot and make meaning of it. And the meaning that you all made was we're going to fulfill a life dream more so for Chris, <laughs> you know, yeah. but you were like, all right, I love you. I, you're my, you're my best friend. You're my lover. You're my partner. I will do this. And it'll be a grand adventure. And that gave you... And it became my dream. It, it, it did. I mean, his excitement and passion for that, it, I, I, it was infectious. And once we realized that the life we had built is not the one we wanted, then I was fully on board. I was like, let's go. Let's get out of here. Like, when can we do this? And then it became like, how, how do we make this happen and all of that? You know, I still don't know without that push from him, I don't know where we would have ended up. And I'm, I'm so incredibly grateful. Anybody who knew me, who has known me over the years, I would be the absolute last person that they would have thought would have up and sold everything and moved to Hawaii, never having been here. It's just so out of my nature. And he, he made me believe that we could do this. He made me believe that like, we can build this life. And this is a life we want. I mean, he, he really made that possible. I, lo- I just love hearing about good partners. When someone's found someone that is just, just makes them a better person every day. Yep. And I'm sure you do that for him too. That is what we all seek. Let's Absolutely. talk about the messages that you received and how you dealt with it that, you know, we, we mentioned earlier about like well-meaning friends or, and or family that say things that are one, not helpful <laughs> And two might sound like they're being helpful, but really, you know, someone who's going through this experience might interpret it a different way. The one I got most of all was when we would say, we're not going to have kids. Have you considered IVF? Have you considered adoption? And here's my PSA about this. If you have, if you know anybody who has dealt with any sort of infertility or struggling with their fertility, I promise you, they know about IVF, they know about adoption, they know about surrogacy, like they have thought about those things. You don't need to ask them that. You don't need to tell them that. You're not giving them new information. It is actually incredibly condescending and demeaning is how I felt when people would say that, like, oh, IVF, no, I have not considered that. I made this enormous decision, life decision to change everything I thought I would, my life would be, but I did not have this key piece of information that you've now given me. And that changes everything. Now, looking back on it with some space, I mean, I can laugh at the time. It was like, are you kidding me? You really think I haven't thought about IVF? Um, it was just, it was, 
it was insulting is, is how it felt. I think I would usually either just say, it, it depended on where I was emotionally. Um, <sighs> if I wasn't in a good place, I would just say, yes, we've considered that. If I, if I was in a better place, I would say um, something like, yes, we've done, we've done fertility treatments and leave it at that. So it really just depended on, the, on how I was feeling. Going through everything, I, I felt very alone, not just in my relationship, but with the world. I mean, I really felt like nobody else is dealing with the thoughts I'm having because I, I have to be the only woman who just, because I wasn't willing to do IVF, because I wasn't, I didn't think adoption was right for us that I just didn't want to be a mom bad enough. And so I didn't deserve to be a mom. I mean, that was kind of where my head went. And I would look at these other women who would pursue, you know, go through seven or eight rounds of IVF and they, they just wanted it more. And that was so incredibly isolating because that really took me out of, you know, the, the trying to conceive community because I, I wasn't willing to do what they were. And so I had this guilt and shame and blaming myself of, well, I just don't want it bad enough. If I wanted it more, there are avenues to make it happen. So trying to explain to people why we were walking away was incredibly hard because I didn't, I didn't have all the words myself. I, I wasn't sure myself. And I remember one person said, um, it's just not a priority. And that, that just gutted me. I mean, I, it just gutted me. Well, and it, it confirms your inner thoughts about yourself yeah. that I'm not making it a priority that if I wanted this bad enough, I would make it happen. Yeah. And what I've learned since then is it's not that it wasn't a priority. It's that it wasn't the only priority. My mental health was also a huge priority for me. My marriage was also a huge priority. You know, my relationship with the world, my life. I mean, I just, now I, ha I have those words and I, I have the space and, you know, I've, I've dealt with so much more of it. So I, I would know how to respond in the moment. I had no idea how to respond. I just knew, I mean, that it just, those kinds of comments were just so painful because one, if you haven't been through it, if you haven't been through fertility treatments um, or, or struggling to conceive, like the, the mind, the mindset and the mind games you go through, it's just, it's hard to explain and just how dark of a place it was. Yeah. Those are, those are the two comments that I will always remember. I got a lot of like, when you get pregnant, you know, when are you having a baby? And my, for a long time, I would say, we're not in any hurry. Of course, then we've been married like 10 years. And I was like, I really need to change this. Cause I think it's, I think it's <laughs> abundantly clear. We're not in any hurry. You know? so. Just stating the obvious here now at this point. <laughs> For women who are getting comments like that, yeah. but if you could offer any kind of words to them, just any words of advice for them, what would it be? I think you have to decide where you are emotionally. And again, it what I would say would depend on how strong I was feeling. I remember one time I said, you know, the next time my husband and I decide to have sex, I will make sure to let you know. <laughs> um, I love that. And, she, she just laughed. Hopefully it made my point too. Like this is an incredibly personal decision. It's an incredibly personal topic. And so I, another time I remember I said, it's actually a really personal private decision between my husband and I, and I just left it at that. 
for the piece you said, they are so well-meaning. Nobody's trying to cause me pain, but it's like these comments, God, they hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it really was like, do I want to like teach a lesson here or do I just want to try to get through my day without crying? And, yeah. and so it really just depended. My, my stock answer was just, we're not in any hurry. At some point, I realized that answer sounded kind of dumb because we had been together so long. We've been married so long. Around that time, people stopped asking. I mean, that, that is the nice thing, is that at some point, people stop asking. Because I think they either figured you're not going to have kids or there's a problem. But the other piece of that is that Chris almost never got those questions, which drove me crazy. Before we were married, it was, when are you getting married? And then after we got married, it was, when are you having kids? And he never got those questions. It was all reserved for me. And at I would come home just ranting to him, being like, why is nobody asking you this? You're a part of this too. It's a lot on women and that's unfair. And it's, you know, and again, it, it leads into all those feelings about guilt and shame. I mean, you know, I'm sure he went through his own, his own emotional journey. That is very different than what you went through. Um, You know, when I, when I really accepted like, okay, I am childless, um, and, and when I really started diving in that world, I found that there's, there's childless and child-free um, and that childless typically means I wanted children, but I, for whatever reason, I didn't have them, whether I was unable, whether I didn't have a partner, whether, you know, for whatever reason, child-free typically means I didn't want kids. And those are two very different groups. But when I really started looking, I found the childless community and I found other women who never tried IVF, who never did any fertility drugs, who, you know, and who struggled with those same senses of, I didn't want it bad enough. Or since I walked away, I didn't want it. And that was so empowering to be like, yeah, the, there are women who have been through just what I have. I think when you're in the thick of trying to conceive, all you can see is if I don't have a baby, I'm nothing, my life is nothing. And now I'm kind of like, no, I, I want you to see there is still joy. There is still happiness. There is still life. There's, there's an incredible life out there, but you have to work at it. And, and it doesn't come as easy. But I think for whatever you've been through, it, when you really start looking, you can find a niche. You can find a group of people who, who share your experience. Maybe not exactly, but close enough. And and that in itself is so liberating from feeling so isolated for so long. You can find a group that shares experiences and that, that is so liberating and empowering. And I really encourage that. I mean, there's about enough bad things about social media, find some good things. And that's one of them. You know, you can, you can really find, you can find your group. That and you can join that. these groups, say on Facebook, you know, childless groups and not even say anything but just feel a sense Mm -hmm. of like, oh, okay. Because people will pose questions or they'll share, I'm feeling really low today, or I saw a pregnancy announcement and it really brings me back to like, this was something I really wanted to do for my life. And not only will they be like, I hear you, I see you, I love you, but also maybe give you those like next steps. Here's what helped me cope with it. Here's how I reclaimed wanting to do this for my life, but I'm now doing something differently. I'm redefining it. When you have a, an interest or a problem, an issue that you feel really passionate about, you can find like-minded people all across the world, which is so interesting. 
so interesting and so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I joined a, um, a child, it's, uh, called not so mommy. Um, and it's a group on Facebook for childless women and or childless people. We did a Christmas card exchange because Christmas is for, for many childless women, Christmas is just a really hard time. Um, it has never been that way for me. It's just not other times are, are much harder, but but for many, many childless women, it's really hard. I joined that Christmas card exchange and got like 50 cards from all over the world. And it was, I mean, some didn't write anything. They just signed their names and some would write like, you know, this path that none of us wanted to be on. But, I, you know, I'm so grateful. It's led me to people like you and Mary Christmas, you know, just all these things. And it was just, it was so neat. Um, oh my God. I'll do for as long as they do it. But, but just that's one small example of like, there, there are groups like this out there and you just, you do have to look for them, but you can find them. And it just makes you feel so less alone. Oh, God damn it, Caroline. You're making me tear up again. <laughs> it is too early for this. That is so beautiful. What a beautiful it's lovely gesture, uh, connection, like such a beautiful yeah. practice. I love Christmas. You know, I would get all these cards and Chris is like, who the hell are these from? And I'm like, they're from my childless women who I just, I love. I love them so much. But um, Oh my gosh. Well, if you kept any of them, you'll have to send me a picture of yeah. the cards because I'd I love to, yeah. oh my gosh, I'd love to put up a photo of that when this episode airs yeah. to show people like, if you, you know, are experiencing this or if you have your own thing, you know, connect with a community and, and maybe start something like this to bring joy and light to others, you know, because yeah. I think at the end of the day, that's what we're all seeking, right? We're all seeking to right. be validated and filled up and loved. And sometimes I can happen with seeming strangers, you know, yep. that are connected through a very human, very, you know, with pregnancy, a female focused experience. So, and I know that you started your own blog. So I did want to share that with folks who, you know, who might want to learn a little bit more about your story. The blog is our next thing. um, And it's just our next thing.com. Chris and I had talked about this for a long time. And we eventually, that's how we kind of announced that we were moving to Hawaii was we've launched our blog. I am not always great about being consistent on there, but it's been really neat. And actually when we announced we were moving to Hawaii, it wasn't for about four months that I wrote a post about being childless and that like, this is why we're moving. Um, and I agonized over the about me section, what to put. And I finally, what I finally settled on was we lived in the big house. We were supposed to raise our kids then, but then kids didn't happen. And that, that was as much as I could put at that point. And it wasn't until a few months later, I wrote a post called The Elephant in the Room because I felt like everybody knew that Hawaii came about because we weren't having kids, but I hadn't said it. And I remember writing that post just sobbing, um, but it was, it was really liberating to get it out there and, and just to talk about it now and so I, I really enjoy posting there when I do. It's interesting because I've never thought of myself as a real public person, but I, you know, some of my innermost thoughts are now posted on the, on the web, but it's been very liberating and very, a really good experience for me to just to talk about it and get it out. I mean, I just appreciate you coming on here and sharing so much about the experience as well, you know, because again, statistically speaking, 
when this is out there in the world, people are going to be seeing their themselves, their friends, um, and family members in your story. And my hope would be that they do share this with them and that the word gets out there that at the core of it, you are not to blame and you are not alone. There is a community for you. You can find meaning again. And so I just am so grateful for your time and your story. And for, I mean, it's just so intimate. And to share that with me and, and, you know, again, complete strangers takes a lot of courage and bravery. So thank you. Hello, my loves. You've made it to the end of another gorgeous and informative episode of Lady Bits and Leadership. Wasn't that fun? As always, if you love this podcast, make sure to subscribe to Lady Bits and Leadership and rate and review us so that others can find our community. As the best hype people a girl could ask for, I depend on you all to get the word out. So if you love this episode or just love the show in general, don't be shy. Share with your friends. Text it, email it, send it over a message, however you can do it. It would be so appreciated. By sharing this episode, you know you're helping someone get in touch with their lady bits and become more empowered. And isn't that cool that you have the power to do that? Lastly, I want to get to know you all. So come hang out with me on Instagram, TikTok, or in our Facebook group. All of them are listed under the name Lady Bits and Leadership. So until next week, this is Dr. Vogel signing off. Aloha.